Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. We trust that you are encouraged and that you are strengthened and that you know that God is good. Uh, just I'm going to follow on with that healing on the streets uh, notice that Johnny gave. The training is happening next Friday and next Saturday at Christchurch Chislehurst. Um, some people are sort of thinking like, oh my goodness, could I possibly cope with this? But they have an interest in healing and uh, in understanding more about healing. I would encourage you, even if you don't really think, I'm not quite sure whether I want to go onto the streets, as it were, I would encourage you, if you are at all interested in healing, come and hear this guy, Mark Mark's talk. Um, I know that there's a cost to it. It's £10 plus £5 for a booklet, so £15. But he is well worth listening to. He's a great encourager. There's lots of stories and testimony about what God has been doing, and it's a real encouragement. So I want to say, some of you are thinking, like, oh, I'm not sure about this or whatever. I would still encourage you to come along. Now, you, you're supposed to fill out a form. Um, I guess, in one sense, that's not a may, and I'm supposed to sign it. If you, if you want to go, let me know, or let the church office know, so we can pass that information on to Christ Church so they know about numbers. But we want to encourage people to come along and to hear testimony and to be encouraged by that. And can I just have all the ladies stand up for a second? I know we've been doing a few things about Mother's Day, Mothering Sunday, as obviously Helen and I have been debating this issue. I just want to first of all declare the blessing of God over you, women, and thank God for you. We are blessed to have you amongst us. You are a blessing, and you are here to be a blessing. For those of you who have reared children, some of you have yet to have that opportunity. Some of you are in the process of rearing children. I want to say to you, you are awesome. Because I know, only from the man's point of view, what a stressful time it is, uh, a time when you are stretched, overtired, frustrated, but we declare blessing over your lives in the name of Jesus. We want to say to you, you are great and mighty women of God, and we want you to be encouraged and strengthened in this day. So we, the men of this church, celebrate you in Jesus' name. Please do take your seats again. Thank you. It's important for us to honour when we have the opportunity. We don't always have the opportunity. But you know, when I see mums struggling with kids down the high street, we, we forget sometimes it is a struggle. Kids are a blessing. They're wonderful. They are wonderful. But they can stretch you to the limits at times. And so we really want to honour you as far as that's concerned. John the Baptist, what a man John the Baptist was. He came as a forerunner to Jesus Christ. He had an important mission. He was born just ahead of Jesus. He was raised. He was a bit of a weirdo. From the point of view, there was a calling upon his life, and he actually took that calling very seriously. He understood within himself he was here to be a forerunner to declare the coming of the Messiah. And God had spoken to him. 
Because we read uh, uh, just after Jesus' baptism in John's Gospel where he talks about the fact that John the Baptist knew that this was the one. Because God had told him, when you see the, the Spirit come and rest upon him, you will know that is the one. And after that, John was going around after Jesus and saying, this man, this man is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, he is the one. We're not worthy even to untie his shoelace. He is the one, I am going to become less, he eventually said, he is going to become more. In actual fact, as Jesus' ministry grew, John the Baptist at one point had his disciples, his disciples come to him and say to him, hey, hey, that guy across the other side of the river, he's baptizing people. People are going to him. And it's almost like his disciples were getting worried for John because they were saying to him, he's getting all the success. Everything is being, he's being blessed. Everything's going to him. Look, we used to have crowds around us, but now we haven't. They're all going to Jesus. And John the Baptist just said these things. He says, first of all, a man can only receive that which is given to him from God. In, in other words, look, if that's what God wants to happen, then that's what God will make happen, and we stand with that. I am not going to stand in the way. I'm not going to start to protect things and gather things to myself because I want to follow the purposes of God. But then he went on to say this. He said, I must decrease and he must increase. I must decrease and he must increase. And I've been thinking about that this week. And how important that is for us to think about. That we need to decrease. And he needs to increase. We need to humble ourselves. And we need to exalt him. We need to become less. And he is the one who needs to receive the praise. He is the one who needs to receive the glory and the offering. And the blessing. Now, you know, if you've been in the church over the last few weeks, certainly we, last week we had a baptism, of course, which is great. And in actual fact, something that wasn't announced this morning, uh, Easter Sunday, which is coming soon, we're going to be having another baptism on Easter Sunday, which is very exciting for us. Having come out of last week's baptism, to have somebody else come forward, and we're going to be baptizing on Easter Sunday as part of our service. So again, if there's people here who are being stirred about baptism, then please do come and speak to us about that. But we've been talking over a number of weeks about the subject of darkness and we've been seeing through a number of teachings or we've been trying to gain an understanding through a number of teachings about the darkness, about the work of the enemy. Not that we want to exalt him, but it's this case of if we do not understand who our enemy is and how our enemy operates, then we are not going to be able to take our stand against him. We're not going to be able to understand how to overcome him in the name of Jesus. It's a bit like saying, you know, there's a target, shoot at it. And you say, well, where is the target? Unless we know where the target is, we know what we're aiming for, we're not going to be able to shoot at that target. And so it's important for us to come to an understanding of that. So we've been looking at that over a number of weeks. But then we've also looked at the strategy, or one of the strategies that God has given to us, the strategy of building prayer altars as being one of the ways that we can draw the presence of God and resist the work of Satan and actually take a stand against the things of his kingdom that seem so easily to come in against us and to attack us. 
And so we've been looking at prayer altars and we understood that the prayer altar is a place of prayer, but actually we're talking about the altar of our hearts. Our hearts are an altar, a living altar before God. And we want to present ourselves, present our hearts before God. And we want to make sure that the fire on our altar is kept burning. So that it is constantly a drawing the attraction of God, drawing the presence of God to where we are. And this is one of the key strategies that we have. And we were looked at this, we were encouraged with it, we were stirred by it. And I know many of you have gone back and said, yes, again, we want to establish altars of prayer in our homes. Now I want to ask, how many of you have started to do that and you have already found that it seems to be a step too far? Have you already found that it is getting difficult? Have you thought, yes, this is a strategy and I want to engage in this strategy. I want to develop my personal prayer altar. I want to develop a family prayer altar. We want to draw the presence of God to our homes. But you've already found, oh, that was such a good idea. But in practice, it seems to be difficult for us to put into place. It's hardly surprising if you found that. The whole point of us talking about the reality of darkness is that it is a reality. And when we are starting to institute something to come up against it, is it any surprise that the enemy starts to say, I do not want this to happen? Because he knows the power of the prayer altar. What we're trying to do is convince ourselves We're the ones that are under the deception. We're the ones that are suffering from the spiritual blindness. We are the ones that really need to be awakened. The enemy of our souls knows the power of the Word of God. You see, we know that. And that is why we need to press in. So let me say, if it's been difficult, if you tried to gather the kids together and they started complaining and saying like, Mom, why are we doing this? This is boring. Or even if you have said that yourself, Just recognize what is happening. There is a blanket of darkness, a veil over the nations. The prince of the power of the air is wanting to restrict, to bind, to hold, to disable the people of God arising into their destiny. But we are saying no. We're saying no. So let me encourage you. If you've hit difficulty... Humble yourself before God. It is not by power. It is not by might. But it is by the Spirit of God. And by that what we're saying is it's not about my ability. It's not about my strength. It's not about my reasoning. I cannot reason my way into this or through it. I need the Spirit of God to show himself to be powerful. The testimony that we need to have in the house of God is the reality of the presence of God. Himself showing himself through healings, through deliverance, through signs and wonders that the testimony of people's faith does not rest in the the niceness of a building or the wonder of flowers or, you know, of fellowship or or even some sort of a club mentality. That is not our security or our saviour. Our saviour is Jesus Christ. He is the one that our faith needs to be in. Not in the faith of men, not in the faith of preaching or what is said at this pulpit, but in the faith of God. We want to put our trust in Him. He is our deliverer. 
He is the one that will help us through. He is the one that will enable us to overcome. Salvation is found in no other name but that of Jesus Christ. Now let me just challenge you this morning, just on this point alone. Where is your salvation? Is it in the strength of your upbringing? Or is it fixed firmly upon God's Son, Jesus Christ? Because if we have our our Savior in something else, we are ultimately going to find that that method of salvation is going to collapse. That's why if we find our faith in the faith of somebody else, you know, I'm holding on to my wife or my husband's coattails, that's where I'm getting my faith from. It's not going to be enough because they are not our Savior. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the one that we've got to look to. He is the one that we've got to put our faith in. The church of Jesus Christ should have its faith in Jesus Christ so that it can stand. That's reminded me of something else. At the back of the church hall, there is a petition form for people to sign. You know, in the news recently, there's been a lot, or there still is, a lot of talk about what constitutes, in words, marriage in the nation. I'm sure you've read about it. From the point of view that there is the desire now to actually bring in by our government the fact that there can be same-sex marriages, not just... uh, um, whatever it was, civil partnerships, but same-sex marriages. Now, that is, it's a good thing that we want to include people, but there is a problem when we start to change what God wants. Let me be quite clear, in this church, we welcome anybody regardless of their sexual persuasion. Because the doors are open to all. Now, I know that you've, we find that we're not just Christians here. This should be a place where people come to meet Jesus Christ. Amen. They come to find out what God's laws, what God's commands, what God's understanding is. This is a place where people should come for safety and security and understanding of what salvation is so that people can be set free from the ultimate terror which is facing the wrath of God on the final judgment and that they may find salvation of that. But in the process of our society, and what is going on in our society, you get the forces of darkness which are trying to bring an understanding that actually we need to be more understanding. We need to be more accepting. This is not an issue of acceptance. This is an issue of standing upon what God is declaring right or wrong. Not us to judge, but for us to come behind and to say, actually, now enough is enough. And what we want to say is, we would like our government to maintain what marriage is already defined as, that that is a covenant between one man and one woman, according to the scripture. So this is not that we suddenly become homophobic or judgmental of others, or their opinions, but that we want to say, as for me and my house, I cannot serve the laws of this government. I have to serve the government of heaven because the government is on his shoulders. That is where we are coming to. Now, in this day and age, and we have to be careful of how we talk about this because we do not want to be derogatory or attacking of other people. Jesus loves everybody, regardless of their background. 
their race, their creed, their, their sexual orientation or whatever. But he is the healer. He is the one that is the liberator. He is the one that can set the captives free. He can break the chains. He has not changed. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I want to encourage you. We want to join with those people just to acknowledge to the government that we want things to stay as they are. And if that is your persuasion, then please do sign the form. There's a, there's a form on the table at the back. Please do sign that perhaps after you've had a cup of coffee. Wow. So there we were talking about prayer altars, a darkness of what we're trying to establish or where we're trying to work at. And what we're trying to do, and I'm just going to read this slowly so that I can see. Hallelujah. We know that God wants us to come in and to possess the land and for us to take hold of his purposes in this place. But you know, for us to be able to stand against the darkness, for us to be able to establish our prayer altars, there is one thing that needs to happen in us. He must increase and we must decrease. It's essential. Unless we can see who God is, other things start to lose their clarity, their understanding. We need to come closer to God. Have you ever been on a car journey and you've been approaching some mountains or a big hill and yet from a distance it wasn't a big hill, it was just a little dot on the horizon. But as eventually you approach and you approach, so the mountain seems to grow in front of you. There was a time when we once drove uh, down to Italy and we went through the, uh, the Alps, went across the Alps, which was a great experience. But I remember, particularly on the way back home, we were coming back up from Italy, coming towards the Alps, and you could see the Alps in the distance, but they were just little hills. You know, we were on this motorway traveling, and it seemed to be quite a while. It was about two hours, I remember, that we were traveling, traveling, and traveling. But this mountain that you'd seen, slowly, 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 this mountain began to rise rise, rise in front of us. And whereas you've been able to see a sort of a vista, suddenly everything was dominated by this big mountain. Then we went through a gorge, uh, 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 past, you know, alongside it. But it's from a distance, the mountain seemed small. But as we got nearer, the mountain was revealing itself for who it really was. Now, you know, that's what we need to understand about God. For so many of us, God seems to be, well, he's just a little God. We give him some honor, we give him some understanding, we give him some praise, we give him some time. But you know what? He's within our limits. And that is because we are far away from him. There's a distance. Truly, God is the great God. He is the mighty mountain, if we want to use that understanding. He hasn't changed. He is enormous. He is great and mighty, but sometimes we are estranged from him. We're at such a distance from him that we haven't been able to truly come and take a look. This morning, briefly, I want us to come a little bit closer. I want us to draw us closer so that we can see our God, so that we might put some flesh around the understanding of he must increase. So if we're going to get him to increase, we need to talk about who he is. 
what he has done. We need to understand a little bit more of his attributes, his character, so that we can, ah, now I can see. We can draw ourselves nearer to the mountain. The Word of God says this, if we come closer to him, he will come closer to us. It is a promise of Scripture. So that if we come closer to him, he will come closer to us. Why do we do this? Because Psalm 9 verse 10 says this, those who know your name will put their trust in you. In other words, if we don't know his name, if we're unaware of his character, if we're unaware of his attributes, well, we're less likely to put our trust in him. But the more that we know of him, the more that we know what he is like, the more likely we are to say, this is a good God. This is the one that I put my faith in. This is where my trust is rooted in this God. Because we know his name, we will draw close to him. God is the foundation of everything. The very first verse of the very first book, the first chapter in this Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the very beginning of the Bible. And it's interesting to know in the last chapter, not the last verse itself, but in the last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation 22, it says this, Jesus Christ is declaring, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. God is before all things. God always was, God always is, and he always shall be. Before the heavens and the earth were created, before anything was established that has been established, there was God. Now, don't necessarily try to cling on to it instantly in your mind because some of these things are beyond our understanding. In Psalms, it says this, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That is who he is. Before anything was created, God was. Now when we start to understand the establishment of all things, then we can start to cope with, okay, God is in charge. He is there in the beginning. God wasn't made. God is not the imagination of man's mind. God is not the sum total of man's energy or his, you know, his abilities in all of the worlds of physics and things like that. God was first. Before the worlds were thought of, before the heavens were made, before there were things like elements, before gold would even be contemplated, before man was made, God was. He is everlasting. He is the everlasting God. From everlasting to everlasting, He is God. Let me just say at this point, this God who is from everlasting to everlasting has declared over you, I will always love you. I will always love you. No matter what you do, I still love you. I still love you. From everlasting to everlasting. How can we comprehend this? But that is who he is. He is not only the everlasting God, but he is the only true God. In Isaiah 45, verses 5 to 7, it says this, I am the Lord 
and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. See, there are lots of arguments that people have. God is God. Other people who are purporting to be gods are not God because they were not there in the beginning. There was only one who is always, and that is our God. He is from everlasting to everlasting the only true God, and he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. In Hebrews 11 verse 3 it says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. God himself has created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. Out of nothing. It wasn't like, he said, like, okay, now where can I get my supplies from? There weren't any supplies. But God doesn't need anything because he is totally self-sufficient and able within himself. He is able to do all things. John 1, verse 1 to 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Now the Word is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was with God. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. They were together from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus is God. The Spirit is God. God the Father is God. God was always, and there he is. In the beginning was the Word, and he was with God, and all things have been made through him. In Colossians 1 verse 16, it goes on to say this, For by him, by Jesus Christ, all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the glue of the universe. That is a super glue. That's beyond, you know, not just this thing that you you mend your pottery with or something, and just after you've done, the teapot handle still falls off. He is the glue that holds the universe together. The universe is in his hands. How can we understand that he would hold the universe in his hand? That which man, by all of his methods and abilities, cannot even fathom the size of the universe. And yet it says, underneath are the everlasting arms. It's not even as though it's too big for God. It's just like, well, it's sitting there. This is our God. He needs to increase. We need to gain understanding of him that our faith may rest more firmly in him. In Jeremiah 51, verse 15, it says this, He made the earth by his power... He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. He has created it. All of the complexities, 
All of the things that we can't fathom. All of the things that our scientists start to try to tell us how things come to pass. Look, ultimately, and I'm not here to give you a, a full scientific understanding, but ultimately, I will tell you this. First is God. Everything holds together in Him. Anything that science cannot understand, God understands and He can reveal. Some things He has not revealed yet. Man is not infinite. Man is finite. So often man starts to try to show himself, show his abilities, but man can only show himself to the limit of man's ability. He can never go beyond the abilities of God. So therefore, we will always find that science ultimately will fall in line with the Word of God because God and His Word has been elevated above all things. Hallelujah. God is great. God is mighty. You know, I was thinking about this as I was preparing this. Some of these scriptures we're familiar with, but I just stopped for a minute and thought, you know what? God has created some of the most amazing things. Air, water, fire, weather, wind, if you like. Is it created things that we just take for granted? Air, the atmosphere that is around us. What, what atmosphere? Can't even see it. In fact, the only time you can tend to see what we describe as atmosphere is when those days when you've got a ray of sunshine beaming through your house and you start to see some of the dust particles that you thought your house was really clean. You think, like, wow, what's all this dust going on here? What's happening? Suddenly you start to see something of dust in the atmosphere, but atmosphere we don't even understand, really. We don't even understand the, the, the makeup of the atmosphere. But obviously if you go to Google, like I did, you do start to understand much more. The Earth's atmosphere is a thin layer of gases that surrounds the Earth. Okay, we can understand that. It is composed 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 0.9% argon, 0.03% carbon, and then a couple of other things. That's its atmosphere. It doesn't really help us a lot, but there you go. So this is thin, gaseous layer, and this layer insulates the Earth from extreme temperatures. The atmosphere does something to help us. It not only insulates the, the Earth and keeps the warmth in, it actually also stops some of the ultraviolet from the sun coming to affect us. It is actually doing something to help us, even though we did not know it. That is because God has created it. The Earth's atmosphere is about 300 miles thick, but most of the atmosphere, most of those gases that we talked about, the 21% oxygen, that, most of that is within the first 10 miles. So if you go up more than 10 miles, the atmosphere starts to get more and more rarefied. Once you go up 300 miles, then it just sort of slowly peters out into other gases and different mixtures of gases. And it gets thinner. Now, if we compare our atmosphere to the atmosphere of Mars, on Mars there's 95% carbon dioxide, 3% nitrogen, 1.6% of argon. We could not live on the surface of Mars. We couldn't live. We couldn't survive. Not without having oxygen. How important is it for us to have oxygen? Do you ever really think about that? We don't think about our atmosphere. We take it for granted that we are alive. We take it for granted that we can survive. We're breathing. That's okay. Everything's going all right. And indeed, everything is all right. All right. As long as oxygen maintains itself to approximately its 
percentage of the atmosphere. That's what we need, and in that we can survive quite happily. You start to actually change the level of oxygen in the atmosphere, and what it says of this, oxygen deprivation is one form of asphyxiation. And you start to drop the level of oxygen, and suddenly your body starts to have changes. One of our members who's not here today, Colin Bloom, he climbed up Mount Kilimanjaro not too long ago, and when he came back, his initial reaction was to say, never again! It was the most terrible of experiences. Not that it wasn't great to be there, but on the way up, as the atmosphere got thinner and thinner, so Colin's mind began to change shape, he began to see funny things, it began to become distorted, your body gets physically tired, all of which are symptoms of your body saying, help, I'm running out of oxygen. Because your body is maintained to keep you alive. And your body is tuned so that your body starts to automatically do things. As you're climbing up Mount Kilimanjaro, as the oxygen level starts to get less, your heartbeat starts to raise and raise. Because your heart's saying, I need to get more oxygen in this blood. I need to spin it around faster. We're getting less in. Your body is adjusting. But you know you get to a place where less than 6% of the atmosphere is oxygen, we no longer survive. We no longer survive. This is just the atmosphere, the air, that God has created, that we live in daily, that we take for granted. What about water? About 70% of the planet is covered in water. However, 98% of the water on the planet is in the oceans and therefore is salt water. 98% of the 2% of the planet's water that is fresh, in other words, what we need to have to drink, 1.6% of that is locked up as ice and snow. So unless you're going to go out and melt it, we've got a bit of a problem. Perhaps global warming is actually helping out the overall water supply issue on the planet. But listen to these things. 0.36% is found underground. So that's in our wells and things like that. Only about 0.036% of the planet's total water supply is found in lakes and rivers. Do you understand how important rain is? That's coming up from the seas. That's being transported. There's no salt in rain, or there shouldn't be. And it's coming down on the mountains, and it's coming down, and it's flowing in the rivers, and the rivers are being recharged. And our lakes and everything are being recharged. They need to be recharged. God is watching over his people when it rains. He is giving us the supply of what we need. Oh, we don't need water. Yes, you do need water. The human body can only survive a matter of days without water. And if you suddenly think, that's okay, we'll drink salt water, you drink salt water, as many sailors have discovered, when you drink salt water, you dehydrate faster. Faster. Because it throws your body into getting rid of the salts, and so it gets rid of the salts by sweating out water. Removing it. No. You see, God is in charge, and God knows all things. Rain, this constant cycle of rain, the moving of water around the planet, that is something that God does, and he helps us. 70% of the human body 
about 70% were made up of water. I don't quite understand that. But anyway, that's what it is. And it's essential to us. It's, it helps to remove the toxins and things from our bodies, as we know. We need to recharge that. God has provided water for us. What about fire? We don't really think much about fire. Apart from the fact we sometimes hear of Australia or something like that where they have forest fires, or even in California recently there have been forest fires, and the destructive power of fire, but also how wonderful fire is. You go into your home, I mean, our gas central heating systems, there's fire in there. It's just that gas is burning. It's what keeps our homes warm. It's what enables us to have hot water. Fire, when it's controlled by man, is a wonderful thing. It can provide so much help. It can enable us to do so many manufacturing processes. Fire, when it is out of control and you see its power and its ferocity, wow, what a destructive force it is. Fire, created by God. Fire destroys, fire purifies. Fire refines, it heats, it cooks. It's a great energy source. It gives us so many things that we have around us. What about the weather? Particularly something like the wind. Our weather is amazing. The planet has weather happening all the time. In England, we have a lot of weather. That's what we're always talking about. Yesterday it was raining. There's rain. We haven't had rain for a long while. Oh, today it's a nice sunny day. Every... We're always talking about the weather because we experience a lot of weather here. But there's an awful lot of weather around the planet there are places right now where there's searing heat. There are places right now where it's freezing cold. This is our planet. Sometimes because it's not our experience. Because, you know, we moan when it's too cold. We moan when it's too hot here. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. There is the perspective of another nation, and I appreciate that very greatly. We do tend to moan. You're right. We do tend to moan. We do. We get fed up with it. You know, the weather is happening all around us. But the weather is a powerful force. Wind is a powerful force. Just earlier this month, in the Midwest, 27 people were killed in the Midwest of America through tornadoes. Tornadoes, or twisters as they are known, splintered homes, damage to prison, tossed around vehicles, leaving at least 13 people dead in Indiana and 12 dead in Kentucky. The Indiana governor said this, we are no match for Mother Nature at her worst. Now, he was just using a phrase that people use to try to understand what's going on around us, Mother Nature. What he really means is, you know, God who is in charge of the weather systems, he is awesome. And man, when he's confronted with the weather, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do. God can do all things. You know that man, his most powerful weapon is the atomic bomb. And we've seen some of the things that I've done, not in our lifetime particularly, but previously, or in our lifetime, but not necessarily. Anyway, we won't carry on with that. Um, you know what I mean. Back when the, the bomb was dropped in Japan and the, and the awful things that happened there. That's the power that man can harness. And we think we are great and mighty. Only yesterday I was reading in the press about asteroid 2012 DA14, which some of you have made... This is an asteroid, so in other words, a piece of rock, a piece of earth rock that is falling through space. It's deemed to be about 164 foot long, okay? So it's not the biggest of rocks, but it's a big rock, and it's whizzing through space. 
and they reckon it's going to come past the earth on the 15th of February 2013. Now the interest is this is how near is it going to come or is it going to hit the earth? And now they're saying, phew, it's actually going to pass by earth to a distance of 15,000 miles so we're going to be okay. But what if this rock had hit the earth? If it had hit Greater London, Greater London would have been destroyed. That is the power of a rock falling from space hit our earth. And you think that God can't bring the people of our nation to their knees? He is able to do all things. See, when you think about, in this area, we're going to be shortly going into our hosepipe ban because there's not enough water around. God is still in control. You remember a couple of years back when there was the uh, earthquake, or not the earthquake, there was the volcano in Iceland, and suddenly all of the air transportation was stopped. Because of a volcano, you see the weather system, the elements that belong to God. And He is in control. We forget about it. We push it to one side. We assume things, these things are never going to happen to us. We think like, oh, it doesn't matter. Why? We need to give our focus and our attention upon Him. We need to reflect upon who God is. And we need to hold our attention upon who He is. Because we are so easily distracted from the core factors of who God is and what He can do. Romans 10 verse 17 says this, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. And even as we are proclaiming the things about God, and declaring who He is, and the things that He is able to do, there is something that starts to stir in us of faith, because we start to say, yes, this is the God in whom I have believed. This is the God who is able to do all things. The Bible says only fools say in their heart, there is no God. Only fools. Because they haven't got the understanding or been able to gain the perspective of the things that God is able to do. When you read the book of Job, you have the story of Job and the things that happened to him. And there's a big debate in that book between Job and his friends. And they're arguing and trying to work out, why has this happened to you, Job? And you must have done something wrong. And there comes a point towards the end of the chapter where God breaks in. And God starts to address Job. And he says this. And it's almost like we can feel almost God's finger pointing at us where he starts to say, okay, wait a minute. Brace yourself like a man, he says. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. God is saying like, hey, who was it who established the shorelines? 
Who was it who said the seas are going to come up to this point and no more? Who said that? God did. He has established all things. And that's what God's saying. Look, we are so presumptuous. We come up with so many thoughts. We come up with the wisdom of man and the understanding of man. He made all things. Many of you have got mobile phones in your pockets. Mobile phones, surely they are the invention of men. Surely that's the ability of man. You know, it, it is the ability of man, but it's created from the things that God has made. And God is the one who has given the ability and the understanding to man that he can develop and understand the processes and the refinements that are necessary to make it. So when you've got the metals that make it up, or even the chips inside. Listen, our computer chips are made from sand. For goodness sake, who made the sand? It's just that it happens to be silica that is 99.999% pure. That's the level that man can actually get it to, to make it, and so that we can actually have computer chips, and they're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And so the devices that we have seem to be even more miraculous and more miraculous, but they are miraculous because we have a miraculous God who has all understanding and who can do all things. He is able to do all things. That is who our God is. The psalmist says in Psalm 46 verse 10, Be still... And no, bands, you can come up. Be still and know that I am God. I will, be ex I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. We need to still ourselves. We need to take a step back and we need to gaze upon who God is. Because the darkness wants to distract us. The darkness wants to blind us. The darkness wants to confuse us. But we need to remember who God is. Because, and we need to know where our faith is. Our faith is to be in Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be upon my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all of my fears. We're going to turn to worship. So why don't you stand up and we're going to sing a song together. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.